Bibles and turn one last time to the book of Acts in chapter 20. We've been in this same chapter for four uh, messages now. But don't feel bad. Um, I was in a previous ministry and I took the book of 1 Corinthians and I preached in chapter 1. I didn't preach four sermons, I preached 11 sermons. And one day, one of the men at the church came up to me, and he has Bible open. He said, I just want to show you something. And I said, what's that? And he said, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I said, oh, you mean you want me to move on? He said, that would be nice. <laughs> and so we will next Sunday move on to chapter 21 of the book of uh, Acts. But uh, for me personally, I have to say, this has been a tremendously challenging and encouraging and rebuking time, just working through what... It says here about shepherds. So let's read together this morning in God's word. And so we'll find Acts chapter 20 and verse number 25. I'm going to ask you to stand again now that you found it, and we'll read God's word together. So let's stand and read. The word of God says, and Paul is speaking, and he says, And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all people, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I entrust you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands serve my own needs and the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all began to weep aloud, embrace Paul, and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. Let's pray. Loving Father, again, as we have opened your word, we give thanks for it. And Father, now as we would seek to proclaim your word, Father, we cry out to you for a special anointing of the Holy Spirit that this ministry would not be in wisdom of words and man's wisdom, but it would be a demonstration of the spirit and of power. Father, we pray for the words to speak your truth that we would understand. Father, we pray for boldness to speak the truth, for utterance to be given. Lord, we pray that grace would season every word and love would be the motive behind every word spoken. Father, we pray that there would be love as a result of the ministry of the word of God this day. Father, we pray this morning for the salvation of the lost, the edification of the saints, the encouragement of the downcast and distressed and discouraged. Father, we pray too for consolation for those who are grieving and comfort for the afflicted. Father, we ask you all these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. And amen. Please have a seat.
Well, so far, we've considered together in this little mini-series that shepherds are to set godly examples in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Secondly, we observed and looked at the fact that shepherds are serving the Lord who makes elders and shepherds. We serve with submission. We serve with self-denial. We serve with humility, tears, and trials. And thirdly, shepherds are to serve Christ's purchased church in continual labor and ministry of the word. Now, these messages are definitely organized and, and designed and focused towards recognized formal shepherds in the church, but they're also very critical for husbands who shepherd their wives, for wives in shepherding husbands, for parents in shepherding children, for all believers that would seek to shepherd those around them. <coughs> Sorry. And so, beloved, we must take heed because the examples which are observed in Scripture but not followed are useless to the observer. Simply knowing what the Scriptures teach is not the point. We must prove ourselves to be doers of the word, not hearers only, deluding ourselves. I just want you to notice something. It's in the text. comes up a couple of times. The terms elders, shepherds, and overseers. A different terminology uh, emphasizes different aspects of the same eldership or shepherd role. Elders emphasizes the idea of wisdom and experience. Shepherds emphasizes the work of feeding and leading and watering and resting and comforting God's sheep. Overseers has a different emphasis yet again. It's the idea of watching over and managing the sheep in God's church. Eldership, if I was to try and define it, is spirit-filled men with wisdom, experience, and maturity watching over all the church, including elders, to discern and to practice the specific tasks of shepherding needed to keep God's flock safe and healthy and moving towards spiritual maturity and Christ-likeness. And it is impossible without the filling of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God which is given to us. God has always used elders and shepherds and overseers amongst His people older, wise, experienced men and women to shepherd and encourage and train up and the next generation of God's leaders and pastors and elders, godly wives, mums, and grandmums. Shepherds are needed to train the next generation. I want you to notice something very particular in verse number 28. It's the second part of the verse, and it talks there about the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And as I was studying and meditating and working over this, I think it was on Friday night, and I was thinking through what what the whole text is about, how it ties it together. And I realized that's exactly it. That idea of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, is the central concept of the text. It's the driving idea behind all of Paul's speech. It's why Paul has set an example for them and us to follow. It's why Paul committed his whole life to finishing his course and the ministry of gospel preaching and church planting and leading and teaching and shepherding and admonishing sheep. It's because he and we are all part of the church which God has purchased with Christ's blood. This is not our church. It's his church. You are not my sheep, you're his sheep. 
Yes, I have a responsibility as an under-shepherd. But as I commented to Gabrielle Wetzel last weekend, we're talking about the mess. I said, you know what? I'm a sheep too, you know. And it's true. But we're all part of God's flock. This is his church, which he values very highly because he has purchased it with Christ's blood. And so there is a desperate need for shepherds in the church, in every church, to be raised up. In Numbers 27, Moses is about to depart off the scene, and he's praying to the Lord, and he says, He asks the Lord to appoint a man over the congregation who will lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord would not be like sheep who have no shepherd. And the Lord answered and instructed him to appoint Joshua, whom he describes as filled with the Spirit, to shepherd Israel, his people. Interesting that in the New Testament that the elders looking for men to serve, what are they looking for? Men who are filled with the Spirit. What's one of the principal requirements for elders in the church? Men who are filled and in submission to the Spirit of God. The Lord instructed him to point Joshua. The church needs shepherds like Moses and Joshua and David and Jesus. In Zechariah 10 verse 2, Zechariah describes the result of false teachers speaking and influencing God's people. They wander like sheep. They're afflicted like those who have no shepherd. God's church needs shepherds to protect his flock from wolves and false teachers. Matthew 9 and verse 36, the Bible describes that Jesus himself was moved with compassion for his people who were dispirited and distressed like sheep without a shepherd. God's blood-bought church needs shepherds to care for, to watch and protect his church because there are wolves and false teachers out there. I have in the course of my ministry, which in this country for the last what is it now, 12, 13 years, 12 years, yeah, uh, three times come across somebody who would be described as a wolf and a false teacher. We were at a Bible study, and one of our young guys in the Bible study invited this man that he'd met in the street. Uh, he seemed to be a Christian, came over and joined the Bible study. He got involved. He started speaking. He started talking. And all of a sudden, little red flags are going up all over the place in my head. I'm thinking, whoa, what is this guy on about? And I just listened, and I, I could see he was heading off in a really crazy direction. And finally, I just interrupted and said, no, we're not going there. We're going to go back to the Word of God. And I met with him a little later and by himself, uh, myself and the other guy that invited him in a coffee shop. And I discovered that what this man believed was that, uh, I hope nobody's offended, okay? This is not what I believe. This is what he believed. Uh, he believed that the white peoples of the world were the lost tribes of Israel and only the white people in the world were ever going to be saved. And so I explained to him on no uncertain terms that he was not welcome in our church. Another situation similar to that, a guy came in um, to try and teaching that you can lose your salvation. He was arguing vehemently that you could lose your salvation. Why anybody would want to argue for that, I still don't know. But he was trying. And I explained to him in no uncertain terms that that's not what the Bible teaches and asked him to leave. Shepherds have to watch out for wolves. They come in looking just like sheep. They come in looking like everybody else. Sometimes they come in and they sing the hymns with tears and they can pray with tears. They know the scriptures back and forward sometimes. But underneath, as you watch the fruit of their lives and the ministry they speak, 
you realize very quickly that they are not the Lord's sheep. And in fact, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. And so the church of God needs shepherds to protect the flock. Notice firstly, shepherds protect the flock by watching themselves. Look at verse 28. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The church desperately needs shepherds who are on guard for themselves because... Now, while we know Zechariah 13, verse 7 speaks of Christ when it says, Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered, as speaking of Jesus for sure. But the principle applies when any and every shepherd is struck down. The sheep are scattered and become prey for the wolves. And so Paul starts here. And if you read the story about what's happening in Ephesus, little lady, you see why. You read 1 Timothy. Why does he tell Timothy? I left you there to tell certain men not to teach strange doctrines. He knew. He knew the false teachers, the wolves, would be coming in as soon as he was out of the way. He starts with shepherds themselves because the reality is if God's shepherds do not take heed to themselves, if they're not on guard for themselves, ourselves, then we'll fall prey to the wolves and false teachers and God's church Purchased with Christ the good shepherd's blood will be left like sheep without a shepherd. God's church needs godly shepherds. Some of you may remember this quote. It's, nobody can find where he said it, but apparently Robert Murray McShane said something like this. My flock's greatest need is for my personal holiness. Why? Because shepherds set godly examples. Because shepherds have to be able to recognize wolves when they come close. And so Paul starts off in the whole idea of protecting the church and says, Shepherds, watch out for yourselves. It's critical. The wolves are circling. If your defenses are down, if your eyesight is blinded for any reason, you'll fall prey and God's sheep will be exposed to the wolves. Some of you may know that a wolf gets amongst a pack or a flock of sheep it will go from sheep to sheep, killing and eating them one after the other, and the flock will just simply stand there and watch without a shepherd to drive away the wolf. Why is it so critical that elders and shepherds and overseers be on guard for themselves? First of all, from 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, we can see an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Similar words in Titus 1 verse 7. We take heed to ourselves so that we do not slip into lifestyles and habits that bring ourselves, our ministry, and worst of all, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ into shame and reproach. It's critical. Secondly, the writer to Hebrews in 13 and verse 17 calls the church to obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Uh, that's a serious thing. Young men who want to be in leadership, that's a good thing. Study, pray. Watch godly men, get behind godly men, watch their lives, follow their example, but don't go rushing into leadership. I know personally of a young man and his wife that got involved in a church leadership and they were chewed up and spat out. They didn't have the maturity and the wisdom and the godliness to be able to handle the demands of ministry. 
And brothers and sisters, the fact that we will give an account for our ministry is something that ought to weigh heavily on our souls. For elders in this church, for prospective elders, and there are men in this church who have that ability, I believe, to become elders in the church, we need to fully understand that one day we will stand before the Lord and he will ask us, what did you do with those sheep that I entrusted to your care? Did you love them? Did you teach them? Did you feed them? Did you care for them? You want to know why this whole series, little mini-series, has been so challenging to me? Here's why. I know one day I will stand before God and give an account for every sheep that has been entrusted to my care. So we're to be on guard for ourselves and the flock which God has made us over which God has made us overseers. That command, be on guard. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. It has full force and weight behind it. The ESV renders it, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock. The NIV says, keep watch. The New King James says, take heed to. Heads up. Look, watch, be careful. God's shepherds must be watching and examining and guarding our own lives, our teaching, our words, watching through the lens of God's revealed standard, his word, watching our lives to ensure that our lives conform to scripture. I'll give you an illustration of what it's like. Um, I'm a cabinet maker and a woodworker, and I love getting out there. Uh, sometimes I put a block of wood in, the, in the, my bench vise, and I just plane it away because I love the sound and the smell of wood shavings peeling off a nicely tuned plane. But a woodworker, when he's planing the wood, if he's doing a good job, if he wants to be careful what he's doing, is he stops and he frequently takes that rough piece of wood and he lays it up beside a machine piece of steel to see if the wood is straight and flat and conforming itself to the standard, which is that machine piece of steel. My wood doesn't usually look that close to it. It gets a little lumpy and bumpy at times, but that's the whole idea. We watch ourselves so that our lives are conformed to the standard of God's word. We take notice of where our lives need to be planed off. We take notice of where things need to be filled in because they're lacking. And we bring our lives into conformity with God's word. That's what it means to watch ourselves. It's the idea of watching to conform to what God gives us, what God's shown us. We watch ourselves with the scriptures to ensure that our lives and our ministry are continually being conformed to what the Word of God says, to be sure that we, as sheep, following are following our Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus. We watch to be sure we're not being led astray, we're not drifting away, to be sure we're setting godly, biblical examples for the sheep in our care. But the Scripture calls all of us to watch. It isn't just the shepherds, it's every sheep. Listen to what it says. Proverbs 4, verses 23 to 27, he says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Turn your foot from evil. What's he saying? See what the Bible says. Fasten fasten and focus your eyes on what Scripture says or the Lord Jesus Christ both together. 
Do not turn from the left or the right of what the Bible says. Brothers and sisters, the moment we begin to compromise what God's word says, we're heading down a dangerous path. And if we're shepherds, we're dragging the whole church along behind us. I'm privy to a situation, not around here, where an elder shepherd stood up in the pulpit of his church and made some absolutely bizarre statements. One of his young sheep is racked. What do I do? He's gone way off the track. He's ignored. He sat down and said, I don't agree with what you're saying. That doesn't agree with the Bible. And, and the shepherd's answer was, there's the door. Watch out. Heads up. And brothers, if we think it'll happen in a sudden flashing moment, it doesn't. Erosion happens slowly and steadily. It's like looking at Solomon's life, right? Years ago, when I was a little kid, I, I listened to Chuck Swindoll preaching, and he preached on the life of Solomon, and he preached Solomon's life as a demonstration of what happens when erosion sets in, and principles begin to be compromised, and God's word begins to be put aside, and all of a sudden, you find yourself on a trajectory you never thought possible, heading down a road that's far away from God's will and God's word. Watch out. Put the shepherding thing aside for a second. Every sheep in the room, watch out. Heads up. Why is it we as a church make such an emphasis on the word of God? We read it. We preach it. We study it. We quote it. I send you texts as often as I think about it. Why? Because I want your lives to be saturated with scripture to keep you as much as I can following what the Bible says and not what our culture and what around us is trying to push us into. Watch out. But it's not merely watching. Look at all those commands in that passage. Watch your heart. Put away. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Watch. Do not turn from right or left. Turn from evil. Those are commands to be obeyed. Solomon, in writing to his young son in this book of Proverbs, was giving explicit instructions to his son to make sure he walked in the way of godliness. And it's a role and task of a shepherd to do exactly the same. In Luke 21, 34, Jesus said, Be on guard, same phrase, so that your hearts will not be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. It's watching taking care, guarding our lives with the word of God, that the snares of this world do not creep in and take over. Watch, folks. You know, it would be so much nicer if I could just get up here and tell you, you know, here's how you be happy and healthy and wealthy, and here's how you have a really good life, and I could tell you all this lovely stuff, and this church would pack out in weeks. I would stand before God and give an account for lying to the sheep. But brothers and sisters, that's what's happening in the churches around us. I won't do it. I flat out refuse. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 16, Paul says to Timothy, pay close attention. He didn't just say attention. He said, pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and those who hear you. He is reinforcing what he wrote to the, El the Ephesian church here in Acts. He's saying the same thing again to Timothy in 1 Timothy. He, Timothy was one of the Ephesian elders. 
He's reinforcing the whole idea. It's close attention. Why? Because you're setting an example for the sheep to follow. In 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13, Paul again writes, Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. That's the words of the living God. Calling all of us, calling particularly the elders of the church. What the church of Jesus Christ desperately needs is men to stand up and be men of conviction, men of God and his word, men devoted to prayer, men who fight spiritual battles on their knees with God's word open, men who take responsibility for themselves and the sheep in their care, men who stand firm in the faith, knowing and living according to the truth. And I'll tell you again, it's impossible outside of the work of the Holy Spirit in you. But praise God in heaven, we have the Spirit of God filling us and empowering us and enabling us to do it. It takes that resolution inside that according to God's word, we will walk according to the scriptures. We'll walk in the power of the Spirit, not in the power of the flesh. Constant prayerful conformity to scripture is the best and the greatest defense against being ensnared and led away by wolves and false teachers. We start by watching and taking heed to being on guard for ourselves and also for the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And second point is this. Shepherds protect the church by overseeing it and shepherding it. Notice again the text, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. We're overseers, which means we're guardians and supervisors, leaders. Excuse me. Biblical overseers manage their master's affairs and properties. You remember the story of Joseph? Potiphar bought him out of slavery and made him an overseer over all his affairs, all of his properties and his house and everything. Potiphar didn't worry about anything because Joseph was in charge and he trusted Joseph. Later, Joseph was taken from prison because of the whole Potiphar's wife affair thing. And he was made a trusted overseer over all of Egypt under Pharaoh. It was all by God's doing. That's what an overseer does. He cares for his master's affairs and properties in a spiritual context. The overseer watches and directs and cares for the flock, the church. Overseeing is critical in order to carry out the purpose, which is to shepherd. So we have to be able to see the state and condition of the sheep in order to bring our shepherding practices to bear. So we can teach and correct and encourage and lead and affirm. By the way, we're overseers, not overlords. I think we've all been in situations, I know I have at least, where the shepherds have lorded it over the sheep, use it as a club to beat up the sheep. Terrible situation. In 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3, we looked at this in our Bible study about a week or so ago. It says, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sword again, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. To shepherd means to rule over the church, to tend it, to govern it and protect it. Biblically, shepherds cared for and led and watered and rested their fathers and their master's sheep. 
Old Testament examples are like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, David. They were all shepherds. So how is it that we protect the church by overseeing and shepherding? Number one, we've got to watch the sheep. We've got to be among them, listen to them, talk to them, pray with them and for them. Pray with you and for you. Sorry, I didn't mean third person is the wrong way to say that. To spend time with you. One of the frustrating things is so many things in this role keep me from spending more time with the sheep. I think I told you the story. My old friend, Ross Honick, sheep farmer, then pastor, he told me that shepherds should smell like sheep. They spend so much time with them. We spend time with the sheep and find out what you're reading, what you're watching, what you're listening to. We watch and examine the sheep carefully to see what's happening and what's going on in your lives. Remember Psalm 23? The shepherd led and fed and guided his sheep. And then the the psalmist says something really interesting. He says, he makes me lie down by green pastures. What does he mean? And and exactly how does that happen? Our dog, she is the, the, the cutest, loveliest, greatest dog. She's also terribly misbehaving, right? You tell her to sit, and she looks at you like, why? tell her to sit again, and she still looks at me. I tell her to sit and pull out a treat, and she hits the ground so fast because she knows there's a treat involved, and she's going to get something good if she sits down. If I don't have a treat in my hand, like, good luck. Well, I went for a walk the other day, and, and she was not behaving as she is prone to do, and I got her to sit, and finally I reached down and put my hand on the back of her haunches, and I just pushed, and I weigh considerably more, you find that easy to believe, than this little dog, and I just and down she went. That's not how a shepherd does it. It's impossible. You cannot make a sheep lie down if it has bugs or insects or parasites or twigs or something stuck in its wool. It won't lie down. So in order to make a sheep lie down, what he has to do is work that sheep over to get rid of all the bugs and parasites and ticks and twigs and whatever else that would make the sheep uncomfortable, and then he can make it lie down, and it will lie down and rest. And you already see the lesson, don't you? One of the things we have to do as shepherds is to observe, oversee the sheep so we can see what's going on in their lives. The parasites, the spiritual parasites, bugs and ticks and fleas and deal with them so that they can then rest. That's how we make the sheep lie down and rest in the goodness of God. We watch over them in order to shepherd them. We watch over them so they can be healthy and safe and productive on the right track to glorifying God, their master and savior. We watch over them and to shepherd them, helping them deal with their problems, helping you to deal with your problems. Listen, this Bible that you all have, it is the complete and total source. It's the infallible rule of faith and practice, as our London Baptist Confession of Faith says. Everything you need to live this life is here. And the shepherd, like a master doctor, in a sense, applies the word of God appropriately to each situation so that the shepherd can lie down and rest and be well warded and well fed and protected. 
We help them help you to deal with your problems. We encourage you in your godly walk with the Lord. We help you to follow and obey the Lord even more closely than already. And while real woolly sheepy shepherds use a host of different remedies, we as spiritual shepherds have two essential tools to deal with spiritual sheep problems, prayer and the word of God. Listen, you want to summarize all my teaching into, into a couple of statements, and then you can write this down and go home and forget it or keep it? Read your Bible, pray every day, do what it says, and you'll grow. Don't read your Bible, don't pray every day, don't do what it says, and you're hopelessly lost. I don't have very many things to say. I just say the same couple things in a whole bunch of different ways. But fundamentally, it's the word of God we live out. It's a life of prayer we live and a life of obedience we strive towards continually. That's how we live this Christian life. We protect the sheep by watching over their souls to discern their state and condition. We help to deal with your problems. We encourage you through the word of God. We have two basic tools, prayer and the word of God. So first of all, we shepherd and protect the flock, all the flock, by praying for you. Remember all of Paul's prayers for the church he ministered. You want a great study? You can either get uh, D.A. Carson has a book called Praying Paul's Prayers. I think it's called. Come and find me afterwards. I'll show you. If you don't want to do that, just take your New Testament, even better, and start with all the epistles and read through and copy out all of Paul's prayers that he prays for the churches. It's rich. It will inform and encourage and help you to pray better. We pray for you. I often take Paul's prayers and pray for the whole church by name, using those prayers as knowing how I can ask God to bless and help and encourage. I don't know every situation going on for two reasons. I haven't found out properly, number one. Number two, most of you would be reluctant to tell me everything that's going on in your life for good reason. But I can pray. And I can plead with God those things that Scripture gives me to plead for, and I know for certainty there's the things that God wants to do in your life. And it isn't deal with your sore toe and your sore back, I'll be honest. It's to teach you great things through the sore toe and the sore back. It's prayer. Paul prayed for the churches. In fact, if you go to the book of Ephesians, some of his greatest prayers recorded are in the book of Ephesians. Listen to what he said. In Ephesians 1, 16 to 19, he prayed that the Father of glory may give to us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He prayed that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we will know what is the hope of our calling, what is the hope of his calling What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of God's power toward us who believe? What a thing to pray for each other, hey? Please, Lord, let Peter know the power of God at work towards him throughout his Christian life this day. And I believe with all my heart that God absolutely delights to pray, to to answer those prayers when we pray the scriptures for each other. Sixteen times in his epistles, Paul mentions praying for the churches. I have in my daytime and binder, you can show if you want to see it, a list of all the members and attendees of the church, and I pray for you. I occasionally send out a text asking, how can I pray for you? 
We elders each have a list. We took the whole church list, divided into three groups, so we can each pray and watch over those ones specifically on your list. I have more time than, than Poovin and Wes in some senses, and so I take my list, and then just for good measure, I keep praying their lists as well. Because it's the greatest thing I can do to protect you is to cry out to God to put his arms around you and keep you safe. I don't know of any other way. I'd know another way, but no better way. Put it that way. Secondly, we shepherd and protect the flock, all the flock, by feeding you with God's word. In Psalm 23 and verse 6, the shepherd had two tools. He had a rod and he had a staff. The rod was like a club with which he protected the sheep from wolves and bears. The rod also speaks of his disciplining hand on the sheep, and the staff speaks of his authority over the sheep. So for the modern spiritual shepherd of the sheep, we don't carry rods around to knock you on the head to make you do. Although you've got to think, that wouldn't be probably a bad idea once in a while. Walk up behind somebody, you've got to behave. I know who I'll start with. No, I'm kidding. It, we have two tools a rod and a staff of a different kind. This is the rod, and this is the staff. You say, how does that work? The rod of protection and discipline is the word of God. We use the word of God, we preach it and teach it into your lives to protect you from the false teachers and the wolves. We use the word of God like a rod, in a sense, to bring discipline towards the sheep. And the only authority we have... I asked one of my friends one day, I said, how much authority do I have as a pastor? And he said, none. I said, oh, really? He said, no. I said, well, what then? And he goes, you have the word of God. That's your authority. So the only thing that I can do in your life, and I will do it with every inch of my being, is to call you into conformity to this. And when you step outside of this, I will show you. This is what the book says. If you don't conform your life to it, you're not di disobeying me. You're disobeying it. And by disobeying it, you're disobeying God. That's all the authority we have as shepherds. But it's the greatest authority. It's all the authority we need, isn't it? God's word over God's people, spoken by God's men, filled with God's spirit into God's church, that they might change and grow and be protected. The only thing we can do is call you to repent in light of God's word and call you to faith in God and submission to his word. We protect the sheep by speaking and preaching and teaching and admonishing with God's word. Those verbs are all in Paul's speech. We feed the sheep on the word of God. In Proverbs 10 and verse 21, the Bible says, The lips of the righteous feed many. In Jeremiah 3.15, he said, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. It's found in God's word. In Jeremiah 23 and verse 4, Jeremiah says, or God speaking and says, I will raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them. The word means feed. In Luke 12 verse 42, the Lord said, who then is a faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Giving rations? That's feeding, right? It's exactly what we're called to do. In John 21, verses 15 to 17, uh, you remember the story? Peter and the Lord are sitting there, other disciples sitting all around them. Peter's denied the Lord three times. So three times Jesus asks him, do you love me? And three times Peter answers, Lord, you know, I love you. 
And each time he says three things, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, and tend my sheep. The word for tend is also translated feed. And the only thing we feed them with is the word of God. We feed you with the word of God. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 4, verse 2, Paul charged Timothy to preach the word, reproving, rebuking, exhorting with complete patience and instruction. Why? Because, in the next chapter, the time will come when they will not endure a sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. Paul warned them in Acts 20, and he went to 2 Timothy and told him the same thing again, recognizing the same problem would still be there. Listen, God's remedy against wolves and false teachers is the patient, consistent preaching, teaching, rebuking, rebuking, try in English, reproving and rebuking the sheep from Scripture in full view. If you go to the passage in 1 Timothy 4, he starts off, I charge you, in view of the coming of Christ and his kingdom. In other words, I charge you in the fact that Christ is coming and he will gather and judge his sheep when he comes. In view of that, this is what you do, Timothy. You're to feed the church. You're to reprove them and rebuke them and teach them and train them because the day is already coming when they will not tolerate sound doctrine. They just want to have their ears tickled. Same problem in the Old Testament. The people of Israel told Isaiah and Jeremiah, don't speak to us the words of God. Speak literally illusions. And you listen to what comes out of some pulpits and go, nothing's changed. They're still wanting illusions. We protect the sheep, the flock, from the attack of internal error and the attack of vicious wolves coming in, seeking to destroy and devour the flock. We protect you by taking heed to ourselves to see that we're not led astray. We protect you by steadfast, continual prayer for you and ourselves. We protect you by feeding you with the lie-destroying truth of God. It is God's truth and God's truth alone that can and does deal with all the problems the church has and ever will have. He gave us all we need in the Word of God and the Spirit of God. That's it. So thirdly, shepherds protect God's church by recognizing wolves. He says in verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Listen, this is uh, Martin Luther's words way back in the 16th century. This is what he said. Uh, Quote, with the wolves you cannot be too severe, With the weak sheep, you cannot be too gentle. Isn't that great? Absolutely true. He also said this, A preacher must not only feed the sheep so as to instruct them how they are to be good Christians, but he must also keep the wolves from attacking the sheep and leading them astray with false doctrine and error. For the devil is never idle. Close quote for a sec. I emphasize that because it's absolutely true. The devil is not idle, and he's looking to tear down this church along with every other one. Quote, Nowadays, there are many people who are quite ready to tolerate our preaching of the gospel as long as we do not cry out against wolves and preach against the prelates. But though I preach the truth, feed the sheep well, and give them good instruction, this is still not enough unless the sheep are also guarded and protected so that the wolves do not come and carry them off. Close quote. 
He said that, what, 400 years ago? It's exactly true today. The devil's not idle, and a responsibility of shepherds is to protect the sheep. And one of the ways we do it is recognize and deal with the sheep, with the wolf. Sorry, what does the wolf Bible mean by wolf? Why does he use that? Uh, and apparently in, in that part of the world, wolves are very prevalent. There's lots of them around, and they're not nice-looking things. They're big, ugly things. The Bible uses imagery of a wolf to accurately describe those false teachers who sneak in amongst God's people like a wolf in disguise to destroy and devour the sheep. Jesus warned us in Matthew 7, 15. Listen to what he said. Beware of false prophets, prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Listen to what the Bible says about two-legged wolves. In Genesis 49 and verse 27, wolves are ravenous with an insatiable appetite to destroy and devour the flock. In Acts 20 verse 29, our own text, they're savage, meaning vicious, strong, and oppressive. They don't care about the sheep. They're only looking for their own gain, their own good. In Ezekiel 22 and verse 27, wolves tear the prey, shed blood, and destroy lives for dishonest gain. In Habakkuk, Habakkuk 1 verse 8, wolves operate in the darker, dimly lit evening hours, keeping themselves from the light of day in order to not be recognized until they have their prey. In Jeremiah 5 verse 6, the wolves' transgressions are many and their apostasies are numerous. In all those texts, they're talking about two-legged wolves, not four-legged wolves. The wolves that are plaguing the church. False teachers and false prophets are those men and women whose motivation is popularity, not obedience to God. They speak with self-interest in mind to please rather than warn the people. They speak, as Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, what people want to hear, not God's word. They speak not the truth of God, as Isaiah said, and he warned them, saying that uh, Isaiah 30 and verse 10 talks about the rebellious people, and they say to the seers, you must not see visions, and to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. You get that? The people of God were saying to the prophets, don't tell us what is right and literally prophesy illusions. I I mean, seriously. I see a wolf coming and I stand up and say, it's okay, go pat the little doggy. What kind of shepherd would I be? But that's exactly what they were saying. And churches in our day today are saying, don't tell us what the Bible says. Tell us what we want to hear. To walk on dangerous ground yet again with no hesitation. People are saying, don't tell us the Bible says one man and one woman is God's way of marriage. Tell us, find us ways in the Bible to support same sex, not marriage. It is not. Find us ways. I heard the other day about a guy who stood up and quoted Jesus in defense of abortion. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And some local pastor wrote him a scathing letter, ripped him to shreds, and so he should. That's a wolf. That's lies being propagated, and God's people are hearing it. And sometimes undiscerning immature young sheep hear stuff like that and think, well, you know, it's coming from a reputable source. No, 
That's why we need God's word. That's why we need shepherds who know God's word, who are willing to say what it says, exactly what it says, nothing more, nothing less. Jesus warned us that false prophets and wolves would come and gave us part of the key to recognize them. Listen to what he said. This is Matthew 7, verses 15 to 21. He said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. False teachers and wolves come looking like sheep, but they're not. Not everybody who walks up and says, yeah, Jesus is my Savior. I saw this thing on, on TV on that guy said, yeah, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. And, and then did something absolutely unchristian. It's like, how, how can you put that together? Jesus made the point that those who do the will of my Father are the ones in heaven, ones who will enter heaven. False teachers and wolves come looking like sheep, but they're recognized by the fruit of their lives, the fruit their lives produce. Jesus said, bad trees bear bad fruit. False teachers do not and cannot display the fruit of the Spirit within. It's impossible. Good trees, I'm going to add this, good trees mostly bear good fruit. Now, what I mean by that? I want to just add a little time out for those who are struggling with their own lives for a second. A good tree, a tree that has been saved, a tree that belongs to God, will bear good fruit mostly. There might be a moment of slip. Something you say, a word you say, something you do might not be completely in conformity to Scripture. But if you look at your life and you see the overwhelming majority of the fruit you're bearing is good fruit, then there's good reason to believe that you belong to God. But if you look at your lives and the overwhelming majority of the fruit you're bearing is bad fruit, then there's a problem. You need to have a good look. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Sorry. Those who do the will of God, the Father in heaven, they are the Lord's sheep. We will know who the false teachers are by examining the fruit of their lives and the fruit of their mouths. Listen to what the Bible says. Second Timothy, uh, Peter, sorry, 2 verses 1 to 3. They will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned, and their greed will, they will exploit you with false words. And in their greed, sorry. 1 John 4. John took us through 4 John last week. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. In other words, watch out. 
In Jude verse 4, look at what he says. Certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. How do we recognize wolves and false teachers? The fruit of their lives, greed, selfishness, sensuality, immorality. The fruit of their mouths, destructive heresy and denial of Christ. How do we recognize wolves and false teachers? Constantly reading and studying and meditating and praying over the text of Scripture. You've all heard the story, the illustration given. I worked with a man who was a master of uh, counterfeit money. He didn't make it. He, He just could recognize it. And he said he went to a course on counterfeit money, and all they did was give him real $100, $50, $20 notes, and they passed it back and forth, and they just they rubbed it, they smelled it, they tasted it, they did everything they could to get completely uh, cognizant of real money in all their senses. And every once in a while, the instructor would slip a counterfeit in, and bang, they'd pick it up right away. Why? They were so familiar with the truth, they recognized the lie. Brothers and sisters, the only way we're going to recognize wolves and deal with them is if we're familiar with the truth. If we watch the fruit of their lives and the fruit of their words. In Matthew 10, verse 16, Jesus said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Wolves are all around the church. And they're creeping in continuously into the church. So shepherds must be shrewd. It means wise and sensible. Knowing and understanding the truth of God, the gospel, and the scriptures. Shepherds must be innocent. That's a key point, isn't it? It goes right back to our first point. Shepherds, watch yourselves. Shepherds, you to be shrewd and innocent. Innocent meaning clean and pure, untainted, unmixed, guileless. You're walking a godly life. It's demanding on all of us because we're surrounded by wolves. It's a demand on us to live lives that keep short accounts between us and God. It demands a life lived in continual recognition, repentance, and confession, and forgiveness from God for our sin. It's a life that needs to be lived full view of God and constantly looking to God's word to know how we should live and how we should change to be more like Christ. A shepherd weighed down and tainted by sin will not recognize nor have the strength in Christ to defend the sheep. So shepherds, we protect the church. That's our responsibility. We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. We do it only in the power of the Holy Spirit. By watching over ourselves, lest we slip away and lest we're led away into error and no longer able to care for the sheep. We protect the church by watching over the church in order to be able to shepherd you, the church, with God's word. And we do it by recognizing wolves, which we see their fruit and we know the truth ourselves. But I can't stop here. There's something else I got to go back and pick up as we close. I got to finish with this. The greatest example of a shepherd protecting the flock is not Paul and his prayerful, tearful, faithful, admonishing and declaring the whole truth of God to the people of God. That's not the greatest example of shepherding and protecting sheep. It's not David with a club and a sling protecting Jesse's sheep from the bear and the wolf. It is our Lord Jesus Christ, the good shepherd who protected all his sheep from the greatest danger we all justly face. 
And that is the wrath of Almighty God. So am I equating wolves and God's wrath? No, not in that sense. Wolves are a danger from the dark side, but the wrath of God falls on sinners. And Jesus Christ protected his sheep by standing between them and the wrath of God. You remember the story in the Old Testament? Uh, People of God had sinned against God again. And a fire broke out on the outskirts, the perimeter of the camp. And it was moving through the camp. And the wrath of God was coming and destroying the people. And Moses said to Aaron, quick, get your censer, fill it with coals, run out. And, and Aaron, in all his priestly garb, his long beard and his turban, everything, with the censer, ran out between the people of God and the fire. And he held up the censer and he put incense on it like that. And the smoke of the incense rose up before the face of God. And in that moment... Aaron, the shepherd, the high priest of the people of God, stood between God's wrath and the people of God behind him. And he lifted up a picture of Christ. And God saw. God saw Christ presented in that burning incense and the smoke rising. And the wrath of God was stopped. Brothers and sisters, our good shepherd has protected us from the wrath of Almighty God against us for our sin. He is the perfect and the greatest example of a good shepherd protecting his sheep. We are his sheep for one reason only. He died to save us. And I just can't stop before I plead with you. If you're in this room this morning... If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible tells me in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 that you are in the domain of darkness. Am I trying to scare you? Partly yes and partly no. The Bible tells us in Ephesians, again, Paul's letter to Ephesians, as he talks about them, he says that, pick your Bibles actually, let's go there together. Ephesians chapter 2. He says in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, And you were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all previously lived previously lived in the lust of our flesh, in dying the de- indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. What is he saying? We were sinners. We were living according to the devil's way of doing things, and left to ourselves, we faced the unmitigated, unrestrained wrath of God. And then in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, loved you. Even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. Christ, the good shepherd, endured the wrath of God to set us free, free from the domain of Satan, bring us into his family, gather us together as his part of his flock, and set shepherds over us to keep us walking that narrow way all the way home. What a great Savior we have. Amen. May God help us. May God help the shepherds of this church to shepherd the sheep carefully, wisely, prayerfully, anchored and holding fast to the word of God. 
May God help us all as sheep to be obedient to the shepherds who will give an account for how they've shepherded us. May God bless this church richly with a steadfastness holding on to the gospel, holding on to the truth of God. May God raise up more shepherds for all of you, all of us, whether you're ever recognized as a shepherd or an elder in a church formally or not, you are shepherds. There are sheep surrounding you who are watching your example. Shepherd them well. Protect them. Protect them through prayer. Protect them through the feeding of the word of God that you can bring. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray and then we'll sing the benediction. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we give thanks again this morning for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, again, that scene out in the desert as Aaron stood between your wrath and the people of God and protected the sheep by lifting up the only thing he had, which was something to point you to Christ. And Father, hundreds of years later, the Romans took him and nailed him to a cross and lifted him up above the earth, suspended between heaven and earth, the subject of mockery and cruelty to suffer unspeakable pain, but even more the unspeakable sorrow of being cut off from you for a time. Father, we, we stand and we just we just can't we can't fathom. We know the heart of man, O oh God, cannot understand the depth of the sorrow of our Savior if who was cut off from you, that we might be set free. Father, we give thanks for our good shepherd who has protected his flock. Father, I cry out to you on behalf of Wes and Poovin and myself, O oh God, help us, work with us, Change us and shape us more into the image of Christ. Give us a burning passion and desire and love for the sheep to shepherd and protect, to defend them, to teach, to love, to speak with grace and truth. Father, I cry out to you also that from this church, from this gathering this morning, you will raise up more shepherds for the sheep to spread the load to make the work more manageable. Father, from every home, I pray, O oh God, that you would raise up shepherds and husbands and fathers who will shepherd their families, wives and moms who will shepherd the kiddos and their husbands. Father, for each of us in this room, there are those in our sphere of influence whom we could shepherd, simply pointing them to the truth of the word of God and praying for them. Loving Father, we pray that you would use us, that, Father, you would protect this church from the enemies that are around us. Father, we recognize in our society as well as even in our own denomination, there are wolves, false teachers teaching ungodly, unbiblical, destructive heresies. And so, Father, we cry out to you for protection for this church. Father, we pray that we would be faithful to the truth to stand firm despite the cost. 
And Lord, we ask you these things in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.